0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets for any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand. So it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo.
1: Well, it wasn't the ending a lot of people really expected or obviously really liked. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I would think that is the case specifically. Always game day in Buffalo, Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovee. Still the post-mortem on a season that had... So many high expectations, Super Bowl favorites just came crashing down all in one three-hour period against the Cincinnati Bengals. How have you processed it, Matt, over the last 24 hours that we are here today waiting to hear from Brandon Bean yesterday, heard from Sean McDermott and other players?
0: I think it's kind of the same thing the players said. You're just kind of like numb. I don't think I've realized yet that the season has come to an end. We get in such a routine. Basically, the players reported July 23rd to training camp, and basically from that point until Sunday afternoon, you're thinking about one thing you're thinking about, is this team good enough to win a super bowl? And they had such lofty expectations and I think they were close, but it's clear that they just didn't have it on Sunday. I don't think that they're a bad team. I think that everybody of course is going to get up in arms and everything that went wrong. And rightfully so, because the expectations were so big, they got punched in the mouth. They played a bad day. I mean, they won a bunch of games in a row. They snuck out some wins. I think it became fairly obvious that this team had some flaws and we didn't know if they were going to ultimately overcome those flaws but i said it the other day it almost felt like fate was the overcut like you know the overpowering thing with the season it's like so much stuff went wrong if these guys can just hang around and keep winning these close games maybe they'll hit their stride at the right time at the end of the year and that's not what happened it ended.
1: Yeah, I think I let myself even get a little too far down the what it looked like to be in Arizona and what all that, you know, stuff. I mean, we have to plan our lives, so we think about that, right? But I, I think that's part of it for me, too, which was so stunning. And the other part was just this was, as you just basically said, this was the bad day to have their worst day. Uh, they, they, This is not the same team that we watch. I think if they play the Bengals ten times, they might not even split five and five. I think the Bills might beat them a few times, but... I don't think it looks like that.
0: No, I don't think so either. I think that the Bengals do a lot of stuff really well that the Bills struggle with. And I think one of those main things is they've just got so many weapons offensively that they can beat you with. But this was not what I thought was going to happen. The Bills got dominated at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And I thought that was going to be an advantage for the Bills, especially defensively, considering the injuries that the Bengals were dealing with. They had three backup offensive linemen in this game. And it felt like Joe Burrow was able to kind of do whatever he wants. Now, he gets the ball out of his hands super fast, but he picked apart the Bills, and all of the issues that they've had this year all showed up in this game, offensively, defensively. I think after these games, people always want to find blame. They always want to find one person or one side of the ball to blame. I think you can blame basically everybody here. I think everybody deserves some of the fault.
1: Coaching, execution, it's its all there, whether it's head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, I agree with that. One theme that came out of the Bills' locker room from players – on locker cleanout day was we heard multiple players say they just ran out of gas. Yeah. And I think that you do have to have some space for the emotional toll. I don't think you can have it both ways where just a few weeks ago, we're talking about everything this team's been through, and how resilient they are, and oh my gosh, you have to overcome this. And then suddenly they lose and say, I don't want to hear an excuse. You can't do it that way.
0: No, I don't think, I don't love the run out of gas thing. I think that there might be, excuse me, some validity to that, but I don't think that's the main reason they lost. I think that the Bengals are a better football team right now, and the Bills have some things that they need to improve upon as they move forward here. If they're ultimately going to get over their hump, I, I think there is a little bit of luck involved, but I also think you can kind of make your own luck. So I, I just think the Bills didn't have it on this day, and that's why they lost. I, I don't really think it is running out of gas. I just think they they lost to a better team. Well, interesting though, I I do
1: think there's something. Even Roger Saffold said, you know, they had even the coaches had to adjust the schedule. I do think there's something through everything they had to get through the last few weeks that he said. We just needed a break. We needed to reset a little bit. And they never got a chance to do that. And I do think that compounded everything. That never got a full chance to catch their breath, reset everything, kind of prepare the right way. It's not an excuse. But I, I think even for me, you when know, we travel, you know, going out there. And even for us, I think we're exhausted and run down. We're not pr- practicing to play a football game.
0: I have a take that is a little bit tied with that. I think they would have been better suited for this playoff run if they would have lost a game sometimes towards the end of the season as just kind of a, all right, these are the things we need to be better on. Maybe they aren't coming in as just such heavy favorites. Obviously in the AFC, there were three teams, but it felt like they were able to keep getting away with it. And then maybe they got a little bit complacent. And that's one of the things that cost them. I think they could have had a little bit of a wake-up call earlier in the year. I mean, they lost three games in the regular season. This is not a bad football team. It's a really, really good football team. It's just a really, really good football team that has a couple unbelievable players that kind of cover up some of the holes and the deficiencies that they have elsewhere three games, they lost by a total of eight points. One of them goes their way.
1: They're the number one seed, even with everything that happened on Monday night in Cincinnati, they then have the winning percentage that they get the number one seed. They have that break. Maybe they don't have to kind of fight through as, as Saffold said, you know, the mindset was get through the next couple of weeks, fight through it. And then maybe you get that break, but maybe that happens if they don't fumble against Minnesota or Josh doesn't have a bad day against the New York Jets. You can look at all these things throughout. Let's, let's go back to Sunday specifically though. Um, Biggest issue you saw on offense, philosophical execution, whatever it was. What was the biggest issue for this team to only score 10 points?
0: I think that nothing seemed it feels like it's an umbrella thing to say, but nothing felt easy. Every time they needed to move the ball, it felt like they had to make these big monumental plays or they had to just have a perfect play from Allen or a perfect catch or whatever it was. It just didn't feel like they had any rhythm. And then I guess specifically kind of on the field, it was the play of the line. The offensive line just felt like they were being held together with scotch tape and glue. And I think there are some nice players on the offensive line, but it was not even close to their best day against a really strong Bengals defensive line, and I think we've seen this the last couple of weeks. I know that the Dolphins played with desperation, and they were able to blitz Josh more than a lot of teams do, and that's why he got sacked seven times. But I thought they might be able to figure it out a little bit more, and, and they didn't. On the defensive side, they had – and I guess I should touch on the offense. I think
1: one of the things that was clearly – part of the issue. Look at what the Bengals did to dump the ball down, to get guys just the ball off the line of scrimmage. It seemed like the Bills still had a let's attack down the field mentality, which is fine, but I don't think this game called for it. I think this game called for it because of what you said, maybe a little bit more getting the underneath stuff and finding easy, easy passes to keep the chains moving. It seemed like right away it was Third and two, let's throw it deep. Third and four, let's throw it for 10 yards. And those things weren't working. They were staying on schedule early, but they could never finish those to turn them into first downs. And I think maybe a few more easy plays. The Bengals on first down were getting huge chunks, which made it so much easier. They didn't even have a third down. Until their second drive, eight plays in.
0: I know. It almost felt like at the beginning of the game, it was a role reversal of the Bills-Patriots last year in the wild card. But the Bengals were the Bills and the Bills were the Patriots. And you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, my goodness. I don't know how they're going to stop them. And I think I specifically said when they went down 7 nothing and then they turned the ball over, I was like, well, I can't get any worse. Well, it got worse because then it was 14 nothing. They had two three and outs. Eventually, they were able to move down the field. And I do think, similar to last year with the Patriots game, I feel like there's a moment that kind of could have changed the outcome of the game last year against the Patriots. It was the Micah Hyde interception. I think that buried the Patriots this year with the bills. I think it was the drive at the end of the first half where they didn't get any points and they had to punt the ball away. I think if they go down the field and they get a touchdown there and you go into half 17, 14, this game has a very different feel in the second half because I think the bills would still be able to kind of be within striking distance and maybe you get a couple bounces and your game plan obviously changes. One of the common themes that the players talked about yesterday, especially, von miller was we fell behind 14 nothing on a field covered with snow like we're a fast-paced high-powered offense like but it's almost impossible for anybody to make up that big of a deficit given the struggles that they had so it felt like they dug themselves too big of a hole and they were never even close to climbing out of it no
1: that's right and this team Usually isn't in those holes. They were against uh, Baltimore. They came out of it and they wound up winning that game. You bring up the weather; it seemed like they weren't as equipped to handle it. But what bothers me is to say that it wasn't like they were playing the Ravens, who love to run the ball. They were playing another high-flying team with Joe Burrow and those wide receivers. They handled the elements very well,
0: and it seemed like the Bills just were not able to handle them as well. I feel like we're almost just, and I'm not speaking. I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like we're just finding things that. They're not excuses, but we're finding reasons of why maybe the Bills lost the game, and I just keep coming back to, I just don't think they're the better team. I think the Bengals are the better team. They have way more weapons on offense. Their defensive line is way better equipped. I mean, going into this game, it's not like the Bengals have stud cornerbacks, but they got such a good pass rush, and they made Josh Allen's life such hell with their pressure that the play at cornerback didn't really matter that much. So I just, I, I think the, I think going, we'll talk about this later. I think going into this offseason, the bills need way more playmakers on this team. Way
1: more. Yeah. And uh, the biggest advantage the bills had in this game on offense should have been their outside receivers against those DBs. And they just didn't take advantage of them. But we'll also have some issues on the defensive side to talk about. Let's do that now. All right, man, on defense, I I never want to use the word scared. Like, it's tough because these guys are so tough. But I think from a standpoint of, okay, don't get beat, don't let more bad happen, it seemed like the Bills played scared on defense of give them too much cushion. I mean, there was guys just wide open everywhere underneath. Joe Burrow looked like he threw for 400. He only actually threw for, like, 240 because – Everything was just
0: super easy, and it was short, and, oh, my guy's wide open. I'm going to give it to him, and they just did that down the field. Think about the second touchdown that they had to Hayden Hurst where they threw it over the top. It was the fake screen to Jamar Chase, and they just hit Hurst wide open over the top. That's because Jamar Chase drew so much attention. Poyer's playing safety. He immediately bites on it because he's like, okay, that's Jamar Chase. Like, I don't want to have that guy in a one-on-one, and then they just lob it over the top. And it's the easiest touchdown the Bengals have probably scored all year. And it felt like that kind of thing happened (laughs) way too often on Sunday against this team. And I know that they're really good, and I know they're really talented. But the Bills should have been able to do a better job of especially stopping some of those plays but also stopping the run i think that also played a huge factor in this game because going into it you're like well yeah if you really just focus on stopping at burrow and the weapons then you probably are going to be able to have some success and then joe mixon comes out and he's hitting them for six seven yards a clip which is unacceptable well that's a big part of it and they did miss daquan jones no doubt about that they missed
1: daquan jones in this game and without Daquan Jones, what it allowed the Bengals to do was really double-team at Oliver. And I think that kind of exposed a bit of an area in the Bills' defense, which is they don't have much to go against the run if they don't have their really good nose guard, if you will, the, the position he plays, Daquan Jones. And as much as that Oliver is a nice, penetrating, interior defensive lineman, uh, he has to be paired with somebody. And that was a, a big, I think, really kind of exposed something that has to be addressed this offseason.
0: Yeah, I think that the two biggest things that they need to figure out in the offseason are one, they need to solidify both lines. And the second thing is adding playmakers, especially on offense. I've seen this from a couple people here and there, and I do think there's some validity to it. I almost feel like you got to go all in on one thing and the bills fastball for as long as he's going to be here is going to be Josh Allen. So if you're going to go with one mindset this year, maybe it's okay. We got to go all in on the offense. We need to make this way more efficient. We need to make this, we need to have this team have way more playmakers, but, Defensively, without Von Miller, they were a completely different team. They they just could not get after the quarterback.
1: Yeah, they've been searching for that for a long time, right? And what bothered me was, obviously, we know like all of the it's been said. I mean, all the resources they poured in the D line last few years, high draft picks, free agents, to not be able to disrupt in any way. Now I'll say Honestly, Matt, if they had Von Miller, I don't know if he would have mattered in this game. The way that the Bengals were just getting rid of the ball, but at least he would have drawn attention. At least he would have had something there. But to get run on like that, this was a Bengals team that did not run the ball very well. And then they did in this game. And that brings up also, they don't have a real thumping middle linebacker. And there's been a lot of talk about Tremaine Edmonds and what his future holds, but maybe this was a game, too, that gets them to, hey, if we would have had somebody that's more of a downhill guy instead of couple of really, really good athletic guys, maybe things turn out differently. So I think it also is an area where they'll have to examine based on this result in this game, what they might want to do there. And we'll get into the free agents and stuff, but just the overall picture of how the construction of the roster, I guess, is what I'm asking there.
0: Yeah. I mean, specifically with defense, you have questions at really every level. There's a ton of things that you got to figure out defensive line wise. I mean, you have the obvious ones, guys like Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson, those players that came back, like, what are you going to do with them Ed Oliver? He's on his fifth year option. Are you going to sign that guy to a long-term contract right now? It probably doesn't seem like that's something that they have to do right now. Then, of course, you get to the linebackers and you get to the Tremaine Edmonds question. We'll talk about that more later. That's probably going to be the biggest storyline or one of the biggest storylines going into the offseason. And then you get to the secondary. You've got Jordan Boyer, who has meant everything for this team, but obviously really banged up this year. Age 31 year. That plays a big factor into it. Tredavious White never quite looks like healthy Tredavious White. There were times when he had flashes of it, but it was not consistent. Kyer Elam had a really great game against the Dolphins. He was also playing against a third string quarterback, so I think that that elevated the play a little bit. Like, what do you need to do moving forward with all of those different levels of the defense? And they don't have a lot of money either. So I said this yesterday there are way more questions going into this offseason than there were going into last offseason, even given how that one ended.
1: All right, we're going to talk about the free agents and the pending free agents. But before I do that, Sean McDermott was asked on Monday at his you know, end of season address, basically, about coordinators. Would he commit to them? We're talking, obviously, Ken Dorsey and Leslie Frazier. He said, I don't want to get into staff right now, which is fine. It doesn't mean that he's going to not commit to them you know, eventually, bring them back. But can
0: you see a change at the top of one of those sides of the ball? Can I, or do I think it happens? Both. I don't think it happens. (coughs) I can see the justification of making one of those moves. I, I mean, even the justification, I agree with you, but
1: the way this coach operates, it's hard for me to see it happening. However, I will tell you, the way he sounded on Monday... I think anything's on the table.
0: I agree. I think somebody's going to fall on the sword and it's not going to be Sean McDermott, it's not going to be Brandon Bean. It's not going to be Josh Allen obviously. So, I mean, then you have to figure out what are you going to do? I think the argument against moving on from Ken Dorsey is it was one year. He was it felt like hand-picked by Josh Allen like 12 months ago. They if they do move on this would be Josh's third offensive coordinator in the last three years. And for a team that's always talked about continuity, especially on the personnel side, it feels like that's not a recipe for success. Can I give you one more reason? Sure. As much as it felt like it was a struggle,
1: they actually scored more points a game this year than they did a year ago under Brian Dable.
0: Yeah, I know, but I don't know how much I even bought. I felt like last year it was like the power struggle of how much are they supposed to run the ball and how much are they supposed to pass the ball? And they just had a lot of different things. They also had – they also had more weapons, quite frankly, last year than they did this year. So which then, is a – and Dorsey. With, that's what I yes. mean, which is kind of helping Dorsey's case. So I don't think they're going to do it, and I think of the two, that would be the more likely move. There is something to be said about, though. The defense in these big moments, in these big games, has struggled. Like They have a hard time going against these elite quarterbacks consistently, and, and that's that's a problem.
1: Well, let's talk about the defensive side, though, as you just bring that up, which is him and Leslie Frazier being together for, you know, six years. The Sean McDermott, right? 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, six years that he's been here. We all love and respect Leslie Frazier. There's no doubt. I and mean, he's incredibly respected around the league. Sometimes you do have to have a different eye. Look at things. Sometimes the relationship gets to a point where, hey, we've done enough together that maybe we have to part ways for the betterment of each other. And I'm... I don't even know if I want to like go down that road, but I could understand this organization feeling
0: that way. It almost feels like it would be a blessing in disguise for them if one of those guys got another job and the decision was made for them. But I, I just, for as much as Leslie Fraser has meant to this team, I just don't see it happening. I think that the Dorsey move would be more likely than the Fraser one. And I think you can make the justification both ways. I just, I don't get, even though there was a noncommittal answer from McDermott on Monday, I just don't get the sense that they're going to move from either one of those guys.
1: I agree with you. And I'll also tell you just from being around football and how it works through all levels, what is very important to football coaches and organizations is loyalty. Uh-huh. And, fitting in and knowing your job and not trying to be you know, somebody who's going to take over or look for your next job. And I think Sean McDermott has a group of people here on his coaching staff who are very loyal, who he believes in, who buy into him, and I don't think that should be discounted. We could all talk about the X's and O's of it, but... That is an extreme important, extremely important trait to have, the loyalty and the buy-in of what you're doing within your building and not just looking for the next thing. And I think Sean McDermott has that set right now, which would surprise me if he does do that.
0: All right, well, let me ask you the follow-up then. If they were going to move one of them, if they were going to part ways, who is it more likely that they part ways with? At this point, I'm going to... Go against you, and I'm gonna say, I
1: think it would be Leslie Frazier. Okay. I think after six years, you could say, Look, he's amazing, he's done a great job, and it would almost be though, I don't, I don't even think it'd be a firing. It'd be almost a like mutual. Hey, you know, this is better for all of us because I listened to Josh Allen yesterday when he spoke and they said, how much room can you, can you grow? And he said a ton, but he goes, I love him. He's great. And just spoke so glowingly about him. And I think that that would even be, if Sean McDermott let go of Ken Dorsey, it would almost be an own self indictment on, well, we did
0: this for one year and it was wrong and I shouldn't have done that. And he would probably want to give it another year to grow. It also looks bad on Josh because a lot of it was said that Josh was very involved in the decision to ultimately hire Ken Dorsey. I I am not suggesting this at all, please don't take it this way, but you remember how much flack Eichel took because of the general manager and the coaching thing where it just continued to be like, okay, like who's Jack going to fire now? And that's obviously not really what happened, but I don't think that they really want to go down the rabbit hole of like, I think that Josh Allen's opinion here really matters, probably more than anybody that isn't Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, but he should not have final say on any of those things, and I do think that he probably wants to, you know, give this another go with somebody who I think he has a really good relationship with and everybody always wants to try and immediately jump to like, okay, this is the easy solution to make. But it was the guy's first year. It was first year. Think about any job in the world. You learn a lot as you move on, like a lot, a lot. And this was his first year calling plays. Yeah, he's been in the league for a long time as a player, as a quarterback coach, all the different stuff. But I'm sure that's an art form in a way. And it takes a little while to get there. I mean, come on, you weren't completely polished and awesome your first year at WKBW? I think I might have been better then than I am now. (laughs) I was fresher, younger, more excitable. There you go. Love it, love it. All right, let's get into
1: the free agents and how all of this might play out with the Bills this offseason. All right, Matt, the Bills have 21 scheduled to be unrestricted free agents, three more scheduled to be restricted free agents. Of the unrestricted free agents you just touched on a little while ago, We're talking about Tremaine Edmonds, really, as the biggest question mark, I think, on what they're going to do. They have a couple others. Devin Singletary, obviously. We talked about the offensive line, Roger Saffold. And then there's Jordan Poyer as well. Wherever you
0: want to start, how do you see some of these things playing out? Okay, so I think the biggest decision they have to make is Tremaine Edmonds. And I think the fifth-year option might be the perfect way of kind of bridging the gap between— or, excuse me, not the fifth-year option, I'm sorry. The franchise franchise, tag. The franchise tag makes the most sense for a player who just is coming off their fifth-year option. I don't think it's a massive, massive contract that he's going to get if you give him the franchise tag. It's going to be a lot of money, but he's going to get more annually if he hits the open market. I think that there's more value in bringing him back than any of those other big name players, at least right now. Is that also because of the age of Jordan Poyer? I think you could make the argument, of course, that Jordan Poyer is
1: the like best player, heck on the defense. He's be the best player on the team, essentially, other than Josh Allen. But, At his age and what he's going to command age 32 the injuries is that why you would shy more away from that or is it more just because you don't see it working out in some way financially
0: no well the financial part is definitely an aspect of it like I think at this point in his career Jordan Poyer is probably trying to get one more big contract he's earned that because he has been such a good player for so many years since he got to Buffalo but you have Tremaine Edmonds who's 24 years old you have Matt Milano who's still young you can keep those guys together let them continue to grow and I mean, Sean said it the other day, like this has been Tremaine Edmonds' best year. And I think it's fairly obvious. He's such a polarizing player that I feel like he always takes the brunt of the criticism because of the splash plays that he doesn't make or maybe some of the times that he over-pursues or he misses a tackle. But I do think he is a valuable asset to this team. So I think as you're still in this very clear Super Bowl window, you give him a franchise tag, you figure out the rest of it. And then, then you can really have the conversation next year of, like, is this somebody we're willing to give a five-, six-, seven-year contract to?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm torn on this like a lot of people. And when it comes to Tremaine, he is still very young. Uh, my co-host on WGR, Extra Point Show, Joe DiBiase, made the point, you could give him a five-year deal, and he's still not even 30 hey, well. by the time that it ends, right? So that's a great reason to keep a middle linebacker around, especially one that is a Pro Bowl player who's played as well as him. And And, and here's the other argument for this. You can, as I agree, franchise tag them and then figure it out. The the thing about franchise tagging isn't because you get one more year. It's because you have more time to figure out the rest of it. It buys you time. But then you can actually say, okay, let's do the five-year deal, spread all that money out. That's why you might want to do that. Although I am also going to tell you, watching Sunday's game tells me maybe they do need a little more physical presence in there. Maybe as good as Tremaine Edmonds can be, maybe him and Matt Milano aren't the best pairing because they both kind of have a little bit of the same skill set. That's
0: fair. That's fair. But then what are you going to do? Because in order to get somebody who's immediately going to step into that role, it's not Terrell Bernard. I don't think it's Tyrell Dodson. I don't think it's anybody currently on the team. So then you're talking about spending big money for a potential free agent replacement or you're drafting somebody probably with a pretty high pick, and I think this team has other needs that might be more valuable, and if you just keep them around for at least one more year, then you can allocate those resources to other players who you think can kind of push you over the edge. Right now, I am not sitting here on Tuesday afternoon after they lost to the Bengals saying the Bills lost this game because they're linebackers. I'm sitting here saying the Bills lost this game because they got dominated at the line of scrimmage and they don't have nearly enough playmakers on offense. So take your resources and use it for those kind of players and just keep him around because I do think that he is a valuable person and on Poyer from me
1: you go back to the to training camp it's just always been trending towards this was never going to work out for some reason it always seemed like this just wasn't going to happen from you know even Drew Rosenhaus being at camp and people thought oh maybe something's going to be signed there was never any indication of that and let's be honest here it seems like His wife has kind of been putting out stuff that maybe they'd like to live somewhere else based on how they live their life and their beliefs and things like that. For whatever you want to call that, good or bad, or agree or disagree, it's always seemed like this has been some sort of separation in the making. However, I could see a scenario where... They get into a room and say, let's do it one more time. Let's 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 do a one-year deal and try and win this thing together.
0: Let's read the tea leaves a little bit further. We talked to Micah Hyde. We did not talk to Jordan Poyer after the season ended. And when Micah Hyde said, I felt like I let Jordan down, to me that wasn't just about this year. It was about also getting a contract because he felt like if the two of them were out there doing their thing together, maybe Jordan's play would have been elevated even more than it was this year. And maybe he would have ultimately earned that extra <laughs> contract. I mean, You say, they went back, they gave him some more money, just kind of like a good faith, like we appreciate your value, but it was never to the level that Jordan Poyer thinks he deserves to be paid. I just, eventually you are going to have to part ways with some of your good players. It's just going to happen. Josh Allen's contract skyrockets this year. You need to be able to make that work somehow. And that probably means moving on from a safety who is on the wrong side of 30. This is not an indictment on Jordan Poyer as a player. At all. If Jordan Poyer could be back here next year financially and they can make it work, I think everybody would agree that that's the right decision. I just don't know how you make it work financially. Even if you say one year, what does a one year deal for Jordan Poyer look like? Uh, what, what do you think the number is? I don't even know. It'd have to be north of 10, at What's least. And, and I don't know if they're willing to pay somebody $10 million at that age.
1: Well, the other one, I guess, that gets thrown around, I don't think either of us would disagree that if they lost Devin Singletary, it's not a big loss, but it is a guy that they're going to have to try and figure out. James Cook uh, proved that he could be equipped to maybe handling those duties, but this team also does not like to have a true workhorse number one running back. So either way, they're going to have to find something to supplement.
0: Okay. So the Devin Singletary one is interesting for me because I think it's dumb to pay a running back pretty much ever. But I also don't know what is the market for Devin Singletary. So I don't think that there's going to be a team out there that is throwing money at Devin Singletary that the Bills are like that is ridiculously unreasonable. So if there's not a ton of interest out there for him, then I could see a scenario where the Bills are just like, yeah, that's like kind of close to what we would pay for another guy anyway. Or it's a little bit more. And then we'll just keep him, Cook and Hines going forward. I I love it. That's why you're smart.
1: I agree with 100 percent. I'll even throw more about this. This running back free agent class is loaded. loaded. So
0: they're all gonna get paid, and that's not gonna leave much for a guy like Devin. The only way you don't do it, even if the money isn't substantial, is if you are ready to hand the keys over to James Cook. And I think there were times when James Cook looked looked good this year. But I don't think he blew me away with anything that he did where you're like, okay, that is the feature back moving forward. And it's not like he was utilized in the passing game nearly as much as anybody thought he would be. Same thing with Naheem Hines. So you've already kind of got a lot of resources there with Hines and with Cook. So it really does depend on the number with Singletary. Like, what is the number you would feel confident paying Singletary? Four to five? I was going to say four. I was going to say if you get them for $4 million for a couple of years. You might be able to. And you might be able to. You're probably like, okay, we could do that for a couple of years because it also – It does matter. Like, Devin Singletary is a glue guy. Devin Singletary is not a talkative person. He's not, you know, loud, obnoxious like some of the other people who are always talking about in the media, but they love him in that room. So that's why if you can get him for what you think is a pretty fair market value, then maybe you bring him back. Speaking of loud but not obnoxious, Shaq Lawson is also going to be a free agent. He said he was at a stop where he was
1: told to be seen, not heard. In Buffalo, that's not the case. He can be himself. He's told he's encouraged to have his personality show And because of that, he said he loves being here, and he feels he had his best year, and he's both physically and mentally in a good spot. guy like him and Jordan Phillips. Jordan Phillips playing with a torn rotator cuff. I don't think either of them will cost a lot of money either. People look at it and say, well, I'm going to have to let those guys walk. You can get those guys back for decent salaries.
0: No, I think you can get those guys back for decent salaries. That is if you want to have them back. And I think they would for both of those guys because it's more of like a depth role thing. And I think they should probably realize that at this point in their careers, that's what it's going to be. And I feel like given the comments that we heard from, especially Shaq Lawson yesterday, if the money's close, he's probably going to stick around. Like if the bills give him an offer, they'll probably want to have him back, which brings us to the other guy who you're pointing out right now, Roger Saffold. Like Roger Saffold said yesterday, Excuse me. He wants to stay in Buffalo, and he's not looking to get some massive contract. I I don't know if they would be interested in him bringing him back. I think they love him as a guy, and they love him as a teammate, but the play did not live up to the contract this year. I think there's a realistic way of looking at the offensive line. I think that there's two or three guys who are pretty safe bets that they'll be starters again next year, but I think right tackle, and left guard are the big questions there of, like, what are you going to do moving forward? And I, and I could see this team spending big-time resources or big-time money on trying to figure those things out. Cole Beasley
1: said he'd like to play one more year. Are you interested?
0: Maybe for, like, a, a really low. Vet minimum? Uh, I don't know about vet minimum, but... You know, maybe barely over it. To me, it sounds like either Cole Beasley is going to play for the Buffalo Bills next year or he's going to retire again. So you have to figure out how much value does he bring you if he has a full summer, a full training camp. One of the reasons when they parted ways with Cole Beasley, I still think Cole Beasley can play, but I do not think he's as effective as he was in 2021. He just looks like he's a step slower. And now that's two years removed from that. So I think it's a 50-50 shot.
1: Brandon Bean's going to speak to the media. We are down here in the Bills media room, and he's going to talk in a little while. We, uh, we'll get you know his thoughts, and people will hear that by the time they listen to this. And then, of course, it's free agency, and then the draft. One thing that always bothers me as we wrap up is when people talk about all these things they need in the draft, which is fine, but I always remind them free agency comes first. Your, your thoughts on the draft will change after the first few weeks in March.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because you're, we're going to go to the combine in basically a month from right now. And we're going to be sitting there at the combine and we'll, you know, hear from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And like last year, Brandon Bean was like, I don't exactly remember the terminology, but he's like, I don't think we're going to be like big game hunting in this free agent market. And then they went out and signed Von Miller. Um, I will say this. As we approach the offseason, I think there are very real reasons to be concerned moving forward. I think one of the things that Sean McDermott said yesterday is that the gap is shrinking. And I think that was a really standout statement because it feels like other teams are getting better. And maybe the Bills, they're not getting better. Maybe they even took a little bit of a step back. They still lost three games in the regular season, and they still have Josh Allen. They're going to be in this window for a while. It's now just about surrounding them with the right people, the right talent. If they don't go into the offseason and, you know, do a million things and sign all these high-profile people, that does not mean that it was a failure of an offseason. They just have to make sure they make a couple right, smart financial decisions. Josh will be in year number six
1: next year. It's amazing to think about.
0: Yeah. I, I, listen, it was not his best game. It wasn't anybody's best game. I'm not putting the blame for that game on Josh Allen like no. at all. Like I think that's really far down the list if you want to get to that point. I think there are three quarterbacks right now who are in their own tier. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. Everybody's going to rate those guys differently however you want, whatever. The Bills got one of them. They're always going to have a chance as long as they do have one of them. And also by the way, like he downplayed it. He was playing really yes, hard for agreed. a lot of this year, and he is not like, okay, let's go and have you know this pity party about me. He probably should not have been playing with the UCL injury. He's also been dealing with an ankle injury for a while. The mobility was not really there these last couple weeks. And he
1: said he had to change his throwing motion, essentially.
0: Yeah, he said his mechanics changed, and he said his, it didn't feel like it was normal until two weeks ago, and it is pretty substantial. You look at kind of the production pre-injury and post-injury. And it paints two very different pictures, and I am not saying that some of those bad decisions are because of the injury, but I do think there is a little bit there.
1: All right, Matt. Well, we're going to hear from Brandon Bean, and then you and I will discuss more of the offseason. You ready for a little break? You ready to get some sleep? You ready to get some relaxation?
0: Yeah, it does feel this is weird to say it feels like a little bit of like weight off of your shoulders because you have been going so far or for so long i wish we were still going for a couple more weeks for three more weeks quite frankly but this is just the way it is so uh let's start talking about the (laughs) sabers oh yeah well they got a lot to talk about as well
1: download subscribe it's always game day in buffalo odyssey itunes spotify wherever you pod for matt bove channel 7 wkbw tv sports director i'm sal capaccio wgr and uh, what do you got going on at wkbw coming up you guys i saw your show the other night just real quick give a plug for any of your uh, coverage
0: coming up. Oh, thank you. We appreciate it. Now we're just kind of back to our normal coverage, you know, our newscast that we have every single day. We can find everything at wkbw.com. We do two weekly shows during the bill season. Those now wrap up. We'll have some random specials here and there just now gearing towards hopefully a playoff push for the Sabres, a bunch of high school coverage and you know, with the Bills. The off season might be more intense than the regular season is anyway. So, that's not going to stop anytime soon.